welcome to Vlad Subject Podcast. Our mission at Vladimir Subject Ministries is to reach the world globally and disciple them digitally. Let's dive into this episode. Today I would like to share with you about something that the Lord has dealt with me on my vacation. Now, this may come off as a little surprise uh, because I usually don't deal with topics like that in our fasting. But today I would like to deal with that for those of us who are seeking God, fasting and praying concerning how to live less of a stress, stressful life. The secret to stress-free life. God told me this on my vacation. Now, me and my wife, since we got married, started to prioritize once a year to go away on a vacation. We, we started to do that even when we didn't have money. We would save a little bit there, a little bit there, and try to prioritize going for a, for a, a week, a week and sometimes uh, eight days, eight nights, or nine nights, and just kind of disconnect, focus on God, focus on each other, and just kind of reconnect. And actually the Bible talks about Israel having feasts. One of them was the Feast of Tabernacle where Israel for a week, they would take a whole week and just tabernacle. One of the Jewish uh, scholars and rabbis said, until you go to the Feast of Tabernacle and see the amount of joy that Israel will experience, you will never know the real definition and meaning of joy. Meaning it was a very joyful time of Israelites living and tense and just, just having a really good time and worshiping God and loving in Jesus. And so when I went on this recent vacation um, and I try to be as private as I can nowadays to post less about, you know, what I do in my personal private life, uh, partially is because I don't want it to be about me, to be about Jesus. But my wife, on the other hand, she has different rules for her life. So she, uh, uh, she, she posts those things. And, um, and yeah, one of the things that the Lord dealt with my heart was concerning margin or space. Now, the verse that I'm going to share with you right now is the verse that kind of became really a verse, like a revelation. I wish I could have a sermon about it right now. I, I think I will one day, but right now I'm just going to speak to you from the heart, okay? So I'm just going to speak to you of what's happening in my heart, what's happening in my life. And I believe that this might resonate and be an answer to somebody's prayer. Matthew 13, verse 22, it says this, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Something that I want you to notice here is that margin is the space between your load and your limit. In other words, margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. We live in a culture today where we all push our limits and then we pay for that by living stressful life, having sicknesses that we could have avoided, experiencing shallow walk with God and then we experience superficial intimacy in our relationships. We experience being overloaded, overwhelmed and we stop living our life out of the overflow of God. We hindered the work of the Holy Spirit in us, through us, because of this one thing that's missing. Space, margin, breathing room. This verse deals with something so powerful. 
Jesus says that the seed has the power to produce multiplying fruit, supernatural fruit. One small seed can become a forest. If this seed that bears 60, 30 and 100 has enough space, has enough margin, has enough breathing room to take root and to develop its work. So I want to share with you first, I want to share with you some of the practical, some of the principal things that the Lord's been dealing with my heart and then some of the practical things. So I want to share with you five things first about this thing of making room or making space. Something that God's been dealing with me and I want to share that with you. And then I also want to share some practical things that we can do. So this is more is going to be uh, me sharing from my heart and kind of recently what's been happening with me. And I believe this will be encouraging to you. How many of you feel like already this is, this is helpful? You're like, hey, I, I really need this. I need more peace in my life. I need more rest in my life. I need God's joy in my life. I need to live more stress-free. And as I'm praying and fasting, I need to make adjustments already so that I can be more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Drop number one in the chat if that is you. See, the Bible says that come to me if you are heavy laden and if you are laboring, I will give you rest. So it's talking about the legalistic, uh, legal, legalism that is, re that is put on people. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me and you will find rest for your soul. So there's a peace that comes from coming to Jesus and there's peace that comes from learning with Jesus. And right now what we're going to do is we're going to be learning at the feet of God's word. We're going to learn right now some of the things that will help us to make margin and to make space in our life and create breathing room so that we can experience greater measure of supernatural multiplication and the move of God. The first thing I would like to share with you is this. A seed has what it takes to bear fruit, but it needs space. A seed, of course, speaks of God's word, but as a principle, a seed can also speak of God's work in your life because God works through His Word. God's activity in your life comes in the form of a seed. It's small, seems insignificant. A seed has a potential for incredible fruitfulness. But this seed, Jesus says, it cannot compete with weeds and wind. This seed needs breathing room. If our calendar, if our life is noisy, busy, constantly overwhelmed with things, this seed, the work of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God has no room, has no, has no space to move. And guess what begins to happen? We have a lot of activity, but very little fruitfulness. We are busy, but we are not effective. We are stressed out, but we're not seeing the supernatural. We have multiple things that we are doing. We're multitasking, but we are not multiplying. The seed can multiply if we give it margin. Something that I want to share with you, and, and honestly, I believe it's God's promise, God's desire for us. God wants to do more with less. Drop this in the chat. God wants to do more with less. And for those of you who have a harder time typing it, you can just drop this. Less is more with God. 
When you make room for God and you do less things, God will make up the difference by multiplying the things He is doing with you, through you and in you. We are a soil, meaning seed belongs in us. We're created to collaborate, cooperate and partner with God. Whether you are in the marketplace, you're running a business or you are in ministry, you are a leader, a servant leader in God's kingdom. God wants to do more through you. But it doesn't always mean you have to do more. Sometimes it actually means you have to do less. So what do we do? We must understand God's word, God's work in us needs space. The seed needs space. If it's competing with weeds, if it's competing with every other thing all the time, the work, the word will lose. It will get choked. It will get squashed. It will get unfruitful. And Jesus says this, he says, the seed was sown, meaning there was a good start, but it didn't, come, it didn't become a harvest. There was a good, like pregnancy, but miscarriage took place. There was no life birthed. There was no supernatural. There was no multiplication. There was nothing, nothing came out of it. No fruit. A lot of busyness, no fruitfulness. A lot of noise, no harvest. A lot of activity, but no productivity. And a lot of activity breeds stress, anxiety. A lot of activity takes a toll on our health, on our mind, on our sleep. We lose weight. Some of us gain weight. We start to let go of our spiritual disciplines. So fasting is so good because you kind of put a pause on everything. You stop everything. You say, what is happening with my life? Where is God in all this? Is my life slow enough that I can keep up with God? That God is in line. He, that I'm leaning on God. That He, I'm walking with the Lord and He's moving in my life. So that's the first thing that I wanted you to see is God's work, God's seed will bear multiplying results if it has margin. Drop this in the chat. God wants to multiply if we have margin. Or in other words, you can say that margin makes room for multiplication. See, a lot of us know what it's like to live with addition. We add things, we add things, but there's God's multiplication. Multiplication requires margin. Put this in the chat. Multiplication requires margin. So that's the first thing that I wanted to share with you. The second thing is these weeds, they need to be removed. So the second thing is identify traps that steal your margin. Identify traps, identify lies, identify habits, but mainly they are things we believe, things we do, and I'm going to identify mine. Some of you will resonate with them. Some of you will have your own. And as I'm going to identify some of mine, you're going to recognize some of yours. We all have weeds that compete with the seed. 
We all have activities that are competing with God's movement in our life. We all have that. I'll be the first one to admit I have plenty of it. The temptation is always there. And the idea isn't to live without temptation. The idea is to recognize what is a trap and what is God's assignment. So here are a few of mine. One of them, one of the traps that I have that steal my breathing room, my margin and spaciousness to allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life is that, I call it like this, I can do it, therefore I must do it. Just because I can do it, therefore I must do it. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody's starting this now, so I need to do it. And I can, therefore I must. And that's really a dangerous way to live because we're not in line with God's, we're not no longer being led by God's presence, we are being led by our potential. Mmm, this is good. Drop this in the chat. We should be led by God's presence, not by our potential. Israel in the wilderness was led by the cloud and by the fire, not by their ability. That just because you can do something, it doesn't mean that's where God is moving at. In fact, one of the ways we are going to be tempted where the trap is going to lie is that your potential does not need to guarantee the pace of your life. God's presence does. We are led by the Spirit, not by our education, opportunities, our potential and our abilities. This is good. We are not led by our potential. We are led by the presence. We are led by the Spirit of God. So that's one of my traps is to be led by potential instead of being led by the presence. The other trap that I have is the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. The fear that if I don't go to this conference, if I don't jump on this opportunity, I will be left out. I will miss the train. And that's the fear. And it's not a healthy fear. Something that I have to uproot from my life. You know, me and my wife don't have children yet. You know, and it's been 13 years. <sighs> there was that feeling, man, we need, we need to have, and it's not that we don't want to, at God's time it's going to come. But I really started to learn to deal with that fear of trying to be what everybody else is doing and find my path with Christ in my circumstances, with my set of gifts, guilt, gifts, limitations, and other things. And to let God be God and to have a fear of God, not fear of missing out. So my trap or the things that steal my margin is that I want to be involved in everything, want to go to everything because I fear of being left out instead of having a fear of God, of being not in His will, not pleasing Jesus. And that's something I have to deal with regularly, part of my temptation. Another uh, trap that I have, and as I'm sharing this with you, I'm being vulnerable as well as I'm encouraging you and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to use what I'm sharing right now to speak to you about your weeds and margins that steal, the, your traps that steal your spaciousness, breathing room and margin. One of my other ones is saying yes too quickly. When I say yes to things out of emotion, I do get invitation um, invitations to minister at other places. I do get opportunities to be involved in different projects. And I have done a lot of mistakes where I have said yes to things 
instantly out of emotions. Instead of simply waiting for 24 hours, 72 hours, putting it before God and hearing God's opinion on it and letting His peace guide me. Instead, just quickly saying yes. And that's one of my traps. Another big trap is being unclear about what I'm really called to do. You know, when I started my ministry, it was very clear what I'm called to do. But sometime when the YouTube kind of blew up, I, I got a little bit cloudy, got a little bit confused. Do I need to keep doing the local church? Uh, as a pastor, I need to do the YouTube. And I had to stop for a year from traveling, even go away to be with God on the mountain for a few days and get myself recalibrated again to what I'm really called to do. What am I gonna be judged on on the last day? I'm not gonna be judged on the metrics that people see. I'm not gonna be judged on the book sales probably. I'm not gonna be judged on the subscribers and the amount of people that watched me live or even how many people joined the fasting group. And so I wanted to know, Jesus, what are you gonna judge me on? You know, what am I gonna be graded on? What is my assignment? You know, and the Lord reconfirmed my assignment. And I came back, made slight adjustments in my life, but mainly in my heart. Because one of the biggest traps that you will have is to lose your assignment and start focusing on something else. Maybe it's because it's trendy. Maybe it's because it's cool and popular. Maybe it's because you're pressured into it or whatever the reasons are. When you become unclear about your assignment, it's a trap that will take all of your margin breathing room and you will not have time now to do what Jesus really called you to do. Another trap is being busy and in a hurry all the time. Constantly in a hurry, constantly stressed out, constantly busy. Another one is being seduced by the wrong definition of sex, of, of success, I apologize. Wrong definition of success, wrong definition of what it means to win. And I'm going to mention that in just a moment. Starting too many things is another one. Severely underestimating how long something will take to complete when you start it. These are just some of the main weeds that will compete for your space. What are some of yours? What are some of the things that the enemy is using to keep you occupied and busy so that you don't fulfill your assignment, so you're not fruitful, and so that you, you are not connected, you're not abiding, and you're not with Jesus, but instead you're running 20 different things. Identify them. I pray the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom and enlighten your heart right now to give you the knowledge of what traps have been stealing your spaciousness, your breathing room, your margin, and choking the work, the Word, and the moving of the Holy Spirit through you. Because God wants to do more, but He can't do more if we don't give Him space. We gotta give the Lord space. We gotta give the Holy Spirit space in our life. Drop this in the chat, make room for God by creating margin. Drop this in the chat, make room for God by creating margin. When you make margin, you create room for God. You create room for the Word of God.
You create room for the prayer. Now we're talking to believers. If you're not praying, reading the scriptures and spending time with God, of course, if you make room, God ain't gonna show up. You gotta plant some seeds there. But once you plant the seed, you have to make room. You have to, you have to give some space to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's slow. It's not as fast as the weeds. Seeds grow slower than the weeds. Weeds grow really fast and weeds take a lot of space. There's just only one problem with weeds. They don't produce any fruit. They don't produce supernatural. They don't produce multiplication. They don't produce things that are from God, things that are supernatural, things that are just divine in nature. We were created to collaborate, cooperate, partner with our Creator, with the Holy Spirit. But there is just one simple secret. This is not only a secret to less stress, deeper walk with God, deeper relationships, better health, but this secret is also for supernatural to be moving in our life is spaciousness. Drop this in the chat. Spaciousness brings supernatural. When you allow spaciousness, you make room for the supernatural. When you allow spaciousness, you make room for the supernatural. Is this helping anybody? If this is helping somebody, drop number one in the chat. Also, click like to the broadcast that you're watching on YouTube and on Facebook. Share this with other people. And then those of you that are on social media, or maybe you're just watching this. Hey, take a screenshot of this right now and just post it on your Instagram story and tag me. We might uh, repost it. Number three secret to stress-free life that the Lord taught me in my, <laughs> my vacation. And this is, all of these thoughts, guys, they're not original with me. The inspiration came from the Holy Spirit, but all of these thoughts, I borrowed them from different people throughout maybe 20 years or something. And so, and some things came directly from the Lord. Some things I just kind of heard from somebody, reworded it. And so don't, uh, don't think that I created all of these phrases and thoughts. It's not the way we, we always kind of lean on each other and glean from other people. But something that I've heard long time, ago and this it's it's kind of like been reassured to me number three is that I'm a human being not a human doing drop this in the chat I'm a human being not a human doing I'm a human being not a human doing which means I'm not a machine I am a man I am a human being what does that mean? Machines break, human beings bleed. Machines need power, human beings need life. If you don't give power to a machine, it will stop working. I don't need power to operate, I need life, blood, oxygen. Machines are worthless without work. Meaning machines worth is directly connected with work. I am a man. You are a woman. We are human beings. Our worth is not connected to our work. Our worth is connected to our God. Our worth is connected to our Creator. Drop this in the chat. Our worth comes from our Creator, not from what we create. Our worth comes from whose we are, who we worship, not our work. That's why you can meet a person that's crippled, who can't work, disabled, somebody who's blind or deaf and they're still valuable 
because they were made in the image of God. They're not less valuable as a human being than somebody who runs a multi-billionaire company. Why? Because unlike a machine, I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. My worth and value, dignity, comes directly from my Creator. I was made in His image and likeness to reflect Him, to be like Him. And I have value because of that. I have a worth. I don't have to work for my worth. And as a Christian, Jesus died for me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. That also gives huge value. This is not in some prideful, um, self-esteem inflated kind of a way, but in the way that, hey, we have human beings have dignity and worth assigned by God. We are not human beings. Our worth isn't dependent on how many degrees we have, positions that we occupy, how many digits we make a year. And that just sets a lot of stuff, that just breaks that lie of the enemy that we have in our culture. If we stop acting like machines and start living like humans, drop this in the chat, stop acting like a machine and start living as a human. Machines, they work without break, but men, we operate by seasons and cycles. If you look at the tree in your yard, it most likely cannot bear fruit every single day. It bears fruits in cycles. A woman cannot give birth to a child every day, every month. No, there has to be this cycle of at least nine months or 12 months. You can't produce life like you make a product. There, there's no systems that could speed things up. Of course, today, technology and science has created, you know, ways for chicken to give birth to, uh, to make eggs faster for, you know, to speed things up through chemicals and other things. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a God's way of creating things where trees make fruit, where grass grows, where, you know, the nature kind of slowly grows, but especially things that bear fruit like trees, like animals make other animals, humans make other humans. It takes time and it has cycles. Machines don't have cycles and don't have seasons. They work all the time. And many of us, we stopped being human beings and we became human doings. And that's something that the Lord challenges me, challenged me on this vacation, that as we're taking time to fast, to begin to remove the layers of lies that I'm a human doing. Yeah, people might know me from preaching the books and the sermons, but that's what people might know me. I am known by God as a human being who was created in His image and likeness for whom Jesus died on the cross and who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, who, have a, who has a purpose and assignment on this earth. Amen. See, machines don't have a soul, but we have a spirit with a soul. So we are not human doings. We are human beings. Number four, how to live a stress-free life, the secret of how to make this margin. We're just 
I'm dealing with every single <laughs> weed right now and disarming those, removing those traps. Number four, and this is a big one. Honestly, guys, I would say this one, this one hit home for me, is I have to redefine my win. Redefine your win, meaning redefine what is, does it mean for you to be a winner or to be successful. Now, different sports have different definitions of a win. In basketball, you have to throw the ball into a hoop. In football, you have to go and score the touchdown. In baseball, you have to reach that fourth, um, oh man, it slipped my mind. In baseball, you have to go to fourth base. In different industries, there's different wins. And I'm not dealing right now with the marketplace or even with the ministry in general. I'm dealing with us as individuals. It's like me and you talking right now, having a coffee and I'm dealing with you as an individual. For you as an individual, your win, how you define what it means to be successful has a direct connection to how you're gonna live, how you're gonna, how much stress you're gonna have and decisions that you're gonna make. Because your definition of success directly drives your motivations and drives your passions and your ambitions. Huge, huge. I will say that when I started in the ministry, my initial definition of winning and success was reaching as many people for Jesus as possible. Now, I didn't see anything wrong with that. And in fact, I thought this is what God's definition for success for me, as many people as possible, winning as many people as possible, reaching as many people as possible. And now some of you may think, well, what is wrong with that? I'm going to tell you what is wrong with that. Because I believe it's not an accurate definition of success. In fact, I believe it's flawed. Because we begin to focus more on numbers and we begin to focus more on secondary things instead of primary things. Colossians 1.10 is really the verse that kind of breaks that view that success for a Christian is reaching as many people for Christ as possible. Success for a pastor is reaching as many people for Christ as possible. Or success for a businessman, not business, but businessman is to make as much money as possible. That can't be your success. What is biblical definition of success winning? being effective for a Christian. I'm glad you asked. Colossians 1.10 That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, let's ask Jesus, what was His definition of success? Was it to reach the world for God? Not really, because He didn't preach for 30 years, he preached for three and a half. He didn't reach the whole world. His definition of success was to do what the Father asked him. That's what his definition was. To finish the work given to him by his Father. In fact, he even said this, it is finished. He even said this, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He said this, I do nothing of myself but what the Father has for me. And this became revolutionary for me. I'm still getting, honestly, wrapping my mind around this idea that my definition of a win 
is to fully please Jesus, not to optimize my potential, reach some big goals, break my limits, or even reach as many people for Jesus as possible. Why? Because Jesus doesn't just have me on this earth. He has millions of us, billions of Christians. And He doesn't want one Christian to reach everybody. He wants every Christian to do their part. So as long as I am staying faithful to Jesus' assignment, I'm successful. I'm fruitful. I am a winner. Even if I don't win in the eyes of men, I win in the eyes of Jesus. So drop this in the chat. Winning is fully pleasing Jesus. To be successful as a Christian is fully pleasing Jesus. It's doing what Jesus asked, how He asked, and when He wants us to do it. It's doing what Jesus asked, how He asked us to do it, meaning His way, doing Jesus' will, doing Jesus' way, is what causes us to be winners. That takes the pressure off. Why? Because that, our eyes are focused on Jesus. We run the race looking unto Jesus, not looking unto another person who is doing something else. Oh, wow, look at this brother. Oh, wow, look at this sister. Oh, look at this businessman. Look at this mother. Look, they already have this. They already have this. They already live there. They already went on this vacation. And then we begin to measure our success and our win based on what somebody else is doing. And then we miss Jesus. We miss what He wants us to do. It puts unnecessary pressures. We begin to live in a pace that's not sustainable. Our children end up suffering. Our own peace is suffering. And we're winning the world, quote-unquote, losing our soul, losing our connection, losing our intimacy, becoming superficial in our relationships, becoming shallow in our spirituality, and becoming very hip hypocritical because our inner life doesn't reflect what is we portray on the outside, and it just becomes this bankruptcy in our soul. And so I want to challenge you today to rethink your success. Redefine your win. I know it's countercultural. I know that the culture will mock me right now and laugh at me. Now, I'm not saying that your business should have metrics to please Jesus. Your business probably has metrics to make profit. There's nothing wrong with that. The churches should also have things that, hey, make sure people are getting saved, people are getting discipled. But every individual should be driven by one ambition, to do what Jesus asked them to do how He wants them to do it. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, meaning I'm going to do what Jesus asked me to do the way He wants me to do it. Our church is going to be different than other churches in town. And therefore, as much as I am, I can learn and glean from other churches, our church is going to probably be more dominant in deliverance. And we have to be faithful to that. Instead of trying to do what everybody else is doing, we will glean from others, learn from others, but at the same time, we will be focused on pleasing Jesus and the assignment He gave to our church. Jesus gave me the assignment to preach His Word, to demonstrate His kingdom, to teach believers, equip believers, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it in His way, even if it's not the same as what somebody else is doing. That's one of the reasons why you saw me pulling away from live streaming every Wednesday. I really started to ask myself, what did God call me to do? and start pulling back and saying, let me do exactly what I feel the Lord is leading me to do. And that is to organize people to pray and fast, to organize people to memorize verses, scriptures, to organize people to grow deeper in the Lord, and 
we're praying and fasting those three days, that's the days that I'm going to spend with this community. And the rest of the time, I want to take time to focus more on God and the family, grow and upload things still, but a lot less. Why? Because with God, less is more. Am I going to lose views and subscribers? Probably. But we need to keep our peace, joy, rest in God and live a life that's not stressful, but live life that's supernatural. Drop this in the chat. I want to live a life that's supernatural, not a life that's stressful. And to do that, you have to redefine your win. And then number five. So let me review. Number one, God's work in your life can only bear fruit if you provided margin, if you provided space. Number two, identify traps that steal your breathing room. Number three, you remember you're a human being, not a human doing. Number four, if you really want to walk in God's pace, experience God's peace, you have to have a different definition of success and win. It cannot be worldly. It has to be biblical. And number five, Abiding leads to abounding. Drop this in the chat. Abiding leads to abounding. If you want to abound, it happens through abiding. Deeper abiding will lead to greater abounding. As you abide, Jesus says, you get more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. Meaning there's greater measures of God's supernatural work through you greater effectiveness that happens without stress. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and it adds no sorrow with it. Meaning when God is involved, there is addition, multiplication, abundance without stress. See, God gives each one of us 24 hours. God can increase His fruitfulness through you without you increasing your schedule your overwhelmness, your stress, and you being worn out. And He can do that with time. No fruit, fruit, much fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that abides. abides. Aboundness, excess, God's excellent work of just being, growing, multiply. But the secret? Abiding. Secret? Make room breathing room. Make margin. Now, in the conclusion, let me share with you some practical things. Number one, don't overwhelm your schedule or you will not live in the overflow. Meaning, don't pack your schedule so much that you don't have breathing room in your schedule. Number two, manage your energy more than you manage your time. Something that I started to learn is that I have about three to five hours of deeply productive hours in my day where my energy is high, my focus is clear, and my mind is sharp. If I prioritize my energy first, when I am most energetic, and I put those things toward the Lord, studying of the scriptures, things that are at work that I need to do that require my mental focus. And I put those things first there and I protect that. And then the rest of the time I give to less important things. Something happens. I'm able to finish writing the book. I'm able to finish writing an e-course. I'm able to finish uh, preparing the sermon. I'm able to make decisions that seem to have great results afterwards because 
the energy, you have limited amount of energy as well as you have limited amount of time. Many people, what they do with time management is they manage their time. It's not as good and important as managing your energy. As a leader, as a parent, one of the greatest gifts you have to your family, to your church and to your ministry and to your organization is your energy. I remember when I was writing the first book, I had a, I had a difficult time because I knew the Lord called me to write the book and I would write it in the afternoon. So I would, you know, work at the church at the time, come home and I was so deadbeat. I had no juices flowing. I was forcing myself to write those 400 words. I would fall asleep. I would just literally fall asleep or if I wouldn't fall asleep, I would be typing the same three sentences for like 40 minutes. I would be so discouraged. But in the morning, I would wake up, go to pray, go to the gym, spend an hour in the gym, exercising, listening to sermons, and then go to work. And I remember when I made this adjustment of putting some of the most important things that God asked me to do in the time slot when I had the most energy. And I removed the gym, moved the gym to the afternoon or removed it completely for three months. It's important, but it's not as important as what God asked me to do. And I was able to finish the book in about two and a half months or, or two months because the energy came in. The energy was always there, except the activity connected to that energy was not the activity that was the most important at that season of my life. Same thing happened with this book that I was writing during the fast in January. In fact, last year I started that, uh, writing the book about snakes and um, snakes, shipwrecks and uh, storms. And for about a month, I just had a difficult time having that flow. I knew what the Lord put on my heart. I just had a difficult time to experience the flow until we started fasting. Usually in the evenings, I'm deadbeat. I, my creative juices are flowing. During the fast, it was incredible. Toward the evening, for those two, three hours every day, it was like flowing through me. I was so surprised that in those 21 days, just the book was birthed. It. And I found out that I had more energy in the evening than I actually had in the morning during the fasting. So I started to recognize something about this. To create margin in my life, I have to manage my energy. The passion, that clarity that you have. You don't have it for 24 hours. You only have it for three to five hours every day. If you don't manage it well, your life will go by. And the things God called you to do, the things God wants to accomplish through you won't be done. You will not be fruitful because you're not managing your energy properly. The third practical thing that I want to share with you, and that is this. Sometimes you have to lower the standard of your life to raise the quality of your life. One of the things that drives our business and being extremely overwhelmed in our schedule is the fact that we want to increase the standard of our life more then we want to increase the quality of our life. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, that beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. The standard of life I mean is living in a nicer home, driving a nicer car, wearing nicer clothes, having nicer things, going to a vacation in a nicer place, putting your children to a nicer college having a better health insurance. I mean, those things in themselves are not bad at all. Wanting those things newer, nicer, newer, shinier, that in itself is not bad. The challenge happens is when that becomes the primary goal 
And the idea that comes behind that is this. If I just improve the quality of my life, the, the, if I raise the standard, if we raise the standard, if we make more money, if we have nicer vacations, if we have nicer, nicer homes, if we have nicer cars, if we just have all of those things, we will automatically have more joy, more peace, more friends, greater quality of life. Now, it's true that some things improve the quality of life. But what we begin to do is this. We sacrifice the margin. We sacrifice the spaciousness. We sacrifice the breathing room in a drive to improve the standard of our life. We typically end up going into debt. We max our credit cards. We max all of our income. We fight in our, in our families. Pick up extra jobs and extra, extra shifts because we really need to have that. We actually hurt the quality of our life. We no longer have family dinners, no longer have days off. We no longer enjoy the things and time is slipping quickly. Year, second year, third year, fourth year, 10 years. And we're driving, pursuing this thing that we seem to not catch because the moment we reach that goal, another goal is presented. Another goal is presented. And we're constantly chasing this standard of life that's just, it's just not reachable. And constantly sacrificing the peace, the joy, the righteousness, and the quality of life God wants us to enjoy because we're not chasing the wind. God wants to bless you. I, I believe that. God wants to prosper you. I believe that. But He says, may you prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. He wants your quality of life to be determined by relationships with Him, with other people. And then the standard of life will increase slowly. But if it doesn't, don't drive yourself to a grave, accumulating debt, having no breathing room. I can't tell you how many people in churches today speak in tongues, read the scriptures, but they live in stress in their finances because they don't have margin. Everything they make, they spend. They let their income drive their expenses. They don't have a gap. They don't have a space in their life. And it produces enormous amount of stress. And you can come for deliverance and say, get this demon of anxiety out of me. But you don't need deliverance in that area if you lack discipline. You need discipline where you have margin, breathing room, where your expenses are lower than your income. That's called breathing room, where you have space for emergencies, unexpected things. And you don't let covetousness and what your neighbor is doing, keeping up with Jonas's, drive your life because it will choke the work, the move, and the presence of God's peace in your life. The seed will die. Drop this in the chat. Make margin in your finances. Make breathing room in your money life. Now, the other practical thing that you can do today to increase spaciousness is find lonely places if you are busy. Now, this, this sounds countercultural. Lonely places, yeah. The busier you get, the more time you should spend in lonely places. Yes, I'm going to say that again. The busier you get, the more time you should spend 
in lonely places. Lonely places is the secret place. It's the wilderness. Jesus in Luke 5, 16, it says, He withdrew himself often into wilderness. You know what wilderness is? It's a very lonely place. It's a very quiet place. Nobody's there. But nature, animals, and silence. As Jesus' ministry got busier, he became more consistent. He would withdraw often, the Bible says. Often became a routine, became a ritual, became a habit to go to lonely places, to go to silent places, still places, and be with God. You must slow down, lower the noise in your life to be with Jesus. As your life gets crazier and more hectic, children, chores, business, deadlines, school, ministry, opportunities, success or struggles, hardships, difficult things. Prioritize lonely places. Prioritize quiet places where you can be with God. Make room in those places. Don't rush those moments with God. Don't, don't just let it be oh, only when I am in the car driving through. And maybe that's fine for a season, but give space for your soul to be unburdened, for your soul to connect, for your soul to receive from God, for your soul to be renewed, for your soul to be strengthened, for your spirit to connect to the Lord. Make room for that. If you don't have time for that, you're too busy. If you don't have time for that, cut something off. Kill that side hustle for a season until you get that oil, that connection. <laughs> especially if you're in ministry or in the marketplace, that you are healthy, that you are whole as a person, that you are at peace, that you are at joy with God, and that you're walking in righteousness. And the last practical thing is make a moral margin by putting distance between you and temptation. Margin, spaciousness, and breathing room is not only in our time with prayer, it's not only in our finances, but also in the time with our temptations. Some people, their temptation is pornography. It is so important to make margin in your morality by creating a distance between you and temptation. There are people you're watching right now or re-watching, you were delivered from alcohol. It's very important that you have margin between you and liquor that you stay as far from it as possible. Don't play games with temptation. Don't live in the gray area. Sometimes I meet people who get, who get delivered from alcohol and then they start drinking again, but they justify and rationalize and they say, well, the Bible says don't get drunk. But I'm like, you were an addict. I'm like, I'm not an addict and this is not to brag but I was never addicted to alcohol. It's not a temptation for me. I don't like the taste of alcohol and I don't, it's just not my habit. It's the way I grew up. My parents kind of taught us from the beginning. You stay away from that stuff, 100%, um, complete abstinence from alcohol. So alcohol is not my temptation. If the devil is gonna use anything, it won't be alcohol or drugs. I won't even know where to find them and how they look. But if I drew that line and put the gap between me and alcohol as far as possible, I would tell these people and I said, how much more it's important for you 
to have a distance in your morality, margin, space. So even when you get, when life gets hard, you don't fall into that. Why? Because you have a gap, you have a distance, you have a margin. Same thing with pornography, same thing with alcohol, same thing with some maybe bad relationships, same thing with dating. If you're noticing that you constantly keep falling into sin at these particular times, you know, when you're with your boyfriend or when you're with your girlfriend, begin to create margin, create space, create breathing room, meaning you don't spend time in the evening alone. Spend more time in the community. You don't physically touch. If that constantly keeps leading to sin, including even holding hands or, or kissing and all of this stuff, why? You want to create margin. You want to do things that are wise, not things that you can get away with. You want to do things that are wise, not things that are sinful. It's not just, it's not about legalism. It's about wisdom. So many people compromise that and they say, well, this is not a sin. Yeah, it's true. It's not a sin. But if you keep doing it, you will end up in sin. Nobody does sin right away. We first do things that are not wise, which lead us to things that are sinful. The wise virgins, the Bible doesn't call them moral virgins, meaning wise. They had morality, but they also had wisdom. They created gap. They created, excuse me, margin. They added extra oil. They created, excuse me, breathing room. They created a distance. They created some extra. But the foolish virgins, no gap, no distance, no extra, absolutely no breathing room. We had exactly the oil we need and that's it. And something happened and they didn't enter the joy of that wedding. If you don't build a distance between you and the temptation, the Satan will take advantage of it. He will compromise your integrity, which will compromise your character, which will compromise your credibility, and it will spoil the supernatural, the divine, the grace, the favor, and the anointing. Yes, abiding, creating space in my life gives room for God's power. Making sure I'm not overspending gives room for peace in my finances. But if in the area of integrity, I don't have a distance between me and temptation, I am in danger of losing integrity. And at first, nobody will see it. But sooner or later, what's done in private will become public. Private compromises become public scandals and it spoils God's fruit. We've seen this happen with pastors, with business leaders. Nobody is exempt from it. That's why it will be good that today as you're listening to this teaching or re-listening to this teaching, look at your life and ask yourself, what has God delivered me from? Have I intentionally created a distance between me and that temptation? Am I doing things that I can justify, but they're not pleasing to Jesus? Am I doing things in my eyes, in my mind, what I watch in secret, what I listen, that is not pleasing to Jesus? I'm playing with the line. I'm trying to come as close to the line as I possibly can without falling. I want to encourage you today to not compromise. And one of the best ways to do it is to create a distance between you and the devil.
by intentionally setting up guardrails where you don't come close to the line, but you come close to Jesus and stay as far from sin as you possibly can. The Bible doesn't say come as close to sin as you can. The Bible says flee lust. Flee, meaning you create a distance. Pursue righteousness, peace and joy. Meaning our focus is not how close to sin can I get without going to hell. Our focus is how close to Jesus can I stay so that between me and my old life, between me and the temptation, between me and demons that I know are haunting me, meaning they want to get me back to my old life, between me and them is a distance. A lot of it. Amen. <sighs> Guys, was this helpful for anybody? I know this was a more of an extensive, longer teaching to create spaciousness and margin, but if this was helpful, drop number one in the chat. Let me know if this was a blessing to your life. And I'm going to get ready right now to pray for you. So place your hand upon your heart and your self. If um, you are watching or re-listening to this, I would like to minister to you right now and ask the Holy Spirit to bring this revelation in your life. My desire that you experience supernatural. My desire is God spoke to me earlier this year and I put it on my journal and he said this, he says, Vlad, I want to do more with less. I want to do more with less. So I just, I'm going to pray that over you, the supernatural, margin, miracles, multiplication. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the businesswomen, businessmen. I pray for fathers and mothers, those that are hustling two, three things at the same time. And some of them who are going to difficult things right now. They're very busy. This season, maybe that they are in, demands extra from them. And Lord, you're not a tyrant who puts heavy legalism on us. But today I ask you, would you help us to make space? Space for you. Margin for your word. Lord, I ask you for those that are living under enormous level of anxiety and stress, who have abandoned their priorities, the priorities of putting you first. When they wake up in the morning, the first thing they go is for social media. When they go to sleep, they're just always on the media. They're, they're full of distractions. They haven't pulled back to be with you. They haven't found lonely places. Their wilderness has been abandoned. And I ask you, would you bring us back? I pray for those who have adopted the world's way and version of success. And it came at the cost of their salvation or at the cost of their soul or at the cost of their relationships. And now they, they're noticing superficial, that, that their lives is superficial, that their life is shallow. Especially pray for those that are fasting and praying as we take a moment and stop and pause and ponder and hear from you and intercede. Would you recalibrate? Would you renew and restore us? Would you help us to abide more so that we can abound more? Lord, would you help us to have a better quality of life even if we don't see yet an improvement in the standard of our life. 
Lord, I ask you that we will not live our life always pushing our limits, but we will live below our limits, below our means. Help us, God. I pray for those that are currently, they're, they're playing games with temptations. They're flirting with temptation. They're seeing how close they can get and get away with it. I ask you, would you help us to bring us closer, Lord, to you and further and further from the devil and sin. I know, Lord, that we will not be ever out of reach of temptation, but you're leading us to not walk, not sit and not stand in certain places, not to participate in certain conversations, not to look at certain things, not to let our feet go to certain places, Lord. Help us to be intentional about our integrity so that we don't live our life as hypocrites, one way in public, one way on social media and another way in private. Deliver us from our sins. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Wash us with your blood. We repent, Lord, for trying to come as close to sin as we possibly can. We want to come as close to you as we possibly can. We want to create a distance between us and our temptation so that we can have no distance between us and you, Jesus. So we can have close, intimate relationship with you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 want to take an opportunity and invite you to partner with me so into um, this ministry. If this was a blessing to you, if this teaching, if you were listening and you're like, hey, you know what? I really need, I needed to hear this today. I needed to be reminded of this. Consider um, also sowing into our ministry. Um, you can do that through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or the best way is become a partner, a reoccurring partner. It will help us to release books, courses, teachings, and do the things that we do. We have a team that is helping us to do that and you will help to sponsor the mission of Jesus Christ. We promise to spend those funds wisely and to spend them in such a way that could help us to reach people for Jesus and to help us to be most efficient and effective. And so um, your contribution helps us with that. Thank you so much. Appreciate you and thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this episode. I believe that you were encouraged, strengthened, and convicted. If this was a blessing to you, would you help and share with your friends as well as maybe on social media? And leave a review on the podcast where you are consuming this content. It will help us a lot. If God puts on your heart to become a partner of this ministry, go to pastorvlad.org and you can become a partner there. God bless and remember, you were raised to deliver.